Welcome along to the Red Star Radio Weekend Edition, and I am speaking to you from the relatively free country of Great Britain, uh, under the glorious reign of Tsar Boris I. Um, <laughs> we have been liberated, ladies and gentlemen. Um, our glorious leader, our glorious Christian ruler, has decided that it is time to let go of the bureaucratic hell that has been imposed upon this country for the last two years by such petty plenipotentiaries as Sturgeon, Drakeford, and, well, <laughs> Boris himself, actually, um, to the rage of, of Keir Starmer, to the enraged befuddlement of the, uh, well, at least half of the popular press. <laughs> the Tsar has declared that good Christian men and women can now go about their, their daily lives free of the ridiculous bureaucratic impositions of the of uh, the legion of health inspectors and QR codes that have been <laughs> uh, imposed upon us over the last two years. Ladies and gentlemen, I speak to you from a free and Christian land. Unfortunately, <laughs> um, the, the woman you can hear cry, laughing to cover up the tears exactly. in the background yes. is not free and yeah. is not happy and is still in occupied Ontario yeah. uh, slash Turkestan. Layla, are you there? Can you hear me? Has Doug Ford turned off the internet yet? Um, I can hear you uh, from this godless land led by truly sinful people, in fact, to lead this land. I'm under <laughs> Doug Ford has just declared a new state of emergency unilaterally without even recalling legislature. All we got was a half hour press conference with like a few journalists who got he to didn't ask look him. happy, your beloved regional prime minister. He looked like a, a sort of a fat cat caught in the headlights. Well, I think, I think, I think he probably personally did not want to do this, but uh, he got the call <laughs> from no, from whom? From <laughs> to the Canadian bourgeoisie secret bunker. <laughs> not only the Canadian bourgeoisie, but the American bourgeoisie, and so then you know it's serious. Well, yeah, those those are people you have to take seriously. They tend to get very angry if they're not allowed what they want. Yeah, and they've got the arms to uh, back it up. So um, he was uh, called into action to uh, defend the rights of capital who have been so trotted upon by the blockades at the Ambassador Bridge, which is in southern Ontario at the border of the U.S. and Canada. Wait a minute. Are you saying <laughs> that this um, this parade of petty bourgeois white supremacist right-wingers funded by Ted Cruz has actually damaged capital or at least offended it? Uh, it's it's uh, having its effect. They've now blocked um, this, the said army of, of, as you described, have now blocked the Ambassador Bridge, um, which is a bridge that connects Windsor with Detroit. Interestingly, it's also a privately held bridge. But uh, yes, it actually is a source of 28% of the trade that goes on between Ontario and the United States. And uh, the blockage, the blockade of it, which has been increasing every single day, and now I think it's fully blocked. There's, there's nothing going through there. Has resulted in millions of dollars. I think, uh, I think $700 million worth of trade goes through there every single day. And so, yeah, they've had to shut down several car factories, actually, on both sides of the borders because they haven't been able to get the parts. This is the real deal, folks. This is the real deal. <laughs> and so the kitty gloves are coming off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you've got like liberal couch potato journalists in the United States like Matt Iglesias calling for the Marines to be sent in. Basically a casual call for mass slaughter. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I'm going to try to make it over there 
to Detroit. Oh, well, I'm not going to be able to go to Detroit, obviously, but um, to Windsor, which is the Canadian city. Um, it, it's a very industrial town. There is a university there, but it's mainly focused on engineering. I, I would like to make it over there to see who's protesting, who's blocking the bridge. Doug Ford in his press conference, who actually just happened like an hour ago before we started recording, did mention that there's only a few trucks. He said there's only five trucks. I don't know how true that is. But the rest are all just personal vehicles. As far as I can say, see, there was no call from the organizers um, who you know called for the convoy to Ottawa to do this blockade. And so it does seem to be completely spontaneous and self-organized. And I mean, if the rumors are true, um, it seems like it's just a bunch of different working class people of different backgrounds who have come and blockaded the bridge and not just truckers. Uh, so this is a quite a very, very monumental for Canadian politics. This is the biggest intervention in the Canadian political, political economy that I've witnessed in my whole life. I've never seen such a thing. Uh, I'd like to learn more. I'd like to go down there myself and and maybe try to get an idea of the class composition and all these different things before passing like a more solid judgment. But uh, it, it does seem quite, it really does seem like quite something. It's not something I expected to happen. I didn't see this happening. Hmm. Yeah. So um, it turns out, as we were discussing with, uh, well, we discussed with Gord McGill, the uh, our truck driver correspondent, who when we, he came on the show, um, the way that this is, and you've said this in other uh, media as well, the way that this has now become a lightning rod for discontent within Canada itself. And this is now further proof of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think one of the big risks, as I, I've said, um, and you, you've said too, Alex, is that the protest itself, the protest in Ottawa itself, is no threat to capital, right? It's politically troublesome, for sure. And it's annoying. Obviously, it's very annoying <laughs> to the political class in Canada and the media class. And we think that it's because it's been able to garner so much proletarian support. And there's many workers who are parked out in front of parliament still, right? And, and, and they don't that, that bothers them. They don't want to hear from the proletariat and they don't want to hear from those petty bourgeois members that are not currently useful to them. But a big, a bigger risk of this was to spread to other working class people and start giving them ideas. You know, maybe start mm. getting them to think about um, questions of self-determination and how they might action. And I think that the overreaction to the Ottawa protest and Trudeau's complete failure to uh, diminish that protest movement, and in fact, it's only it's only blustered it and made people even more determined to stay until the mandates were done, has it, it's resulted in kind of the worst case scenario. Uh, of the convoy, which was in fact to spread as a contagion, the idea that, yeah, perhaps we can do something wherever we are to mm. um, attain a demand that we'd like to see happen. And yes, I, I do think that the the discontent with the mandates is, I mean, I wouldn't say it's like a majoritarian position. I mean, we've had two years of very uh, continuous propaganda and uh, fear around COVID-19 and, you know, just tons and tons of like, like manufacturing of consent, you know, as Chomsky mm. would say. Um, so I'm not surprised that it's not like some some kind of directly more majoritarian position in the sense that people are willing to come out for it. But it is very, it's popular enough. Like it definitely has a major contingency of people mm. who are determined, who are, this has become important for, for them enough to do something about it, obviously. So let's let's take a step back for a moment and ask the question. Yeah. Um, was there a way for Justin Trudeau and the provincial premiers of Canada 
to defuse this protest before it went any further? Well, I I sincerely think that um, the majority of of truckers who came to Parliament, who are currently still there, would leave or would have left if the federal government had dropped the mandates on its side and, for instance, provided a promise that they were going to try to work with the provinces to drop mandates on their side. And I think that they they could have um, pushed the provinces in that direction through with financial incentives. Mm. Um, part of the reason why I think Doug Ford here in Ontario, the premier here, changed his stance on vaccine passports is because the Fed, the, Fed, the federal government, offered them money to implement it. Yeah. And like a couple of days after he announced this new funding for vaccine passports, he changed his view on it. The provinces always just want to get money and they don't they don't tend to use all of it because it, it's it, the federation is not the federal government rather is not able to directly uh, dictate how provinces use the money they're given to them. Right. So they can use other parts of the money for doing other things they want to do, like cut taxes, whatever. Yeah. Um, and so that's why you change the stance on it. Right. Like they, they they need to give some promise that they'll do something related to what the funding is bookmarked for. Oh but, yeah, it's yeah. just like the regional governments here, basically. Yeah. Like they get a big uh, a settlement from the central government, and then they basically spend it on, um, well, initiatives to keep themselves in power. In mm-hmm. reality, but the other thing that's worth clarifying for the listeners is. What is the role of the American federal government in the mandate for truckers? Is it that there is an insistence from the Biden administration that um, the mandate be kept in place in order that uh, truckers can participate in cross-border trade? Well, the mandate on the Biden side is that you cannot enter the United States without a proof of vaccination. Mm -hmm. So... This would encumber the ability of both American drivers and Canadian drivers to do cross-border trade. And I think part of the reason, perhaps part of the reason why the federal government has not been able to cede very much here is maybe they're getting their orders from Biden to, or maybe they feel they have to do things in lockstep with them. And until Biden moves, they can't move. So that's a real possibility. Mm. Which does point rather to the uh, fact that that they could have done something internally to make some sort of a concession to clean it, to essentially take the sting out of this protest. But they've instead, all of them, apart from certainly Trudeau and Ford, have chosen to double down. Well, like until the blockade happened, um, so initially there was one in Alberta at the Coots border, which was much less economically significant than what's currently going on in Ontario. Although that did have its damages. And I I, I do believe like, so now Alberta has completely dropped its vaccine passport. They're dropping their masks soon too. So it's clearly had an impact on that province. But I think, I I think that the, the protest here, um, I think was, it was pretty much within the realm of the political. It could have just been here in Ontario uh, currently when they were just uh, located in Ottawa. It could have been just diffused through some savvy political maneuvering on various sides, like making some concessions, making some promises, you know, d- showing some goodwill, and just doing these these typical like di- diplomacy, right? Like, yeah. no, so no, if yeah. Trudeau, for instance, had uh, not run away, which he did, um, <laughs> and then into hiding, uh, or even if he'd sent his transport minister, this little sort of rat faced guy, out there <laughs> to actually go and say, okay, well, we've heard you. Um, we're going to drop like various inter, inter, uh, inter intra-Canadian restrictions. Uh, can't do anything about the American side, but we're going to commit to 
taking it up with the Biden administration at the earliest possible opportunity. I mean, that would have been something and that probably would have got them at the very least, uh, it wouldn't have been an escalation then, I don't think. Well, the thing is, like, the the truckers' protest only matters if there's enough people there and there's enough protesters that are going in every weekend and every day to give them uh, fuel and supplies and uh, things of that nature, right? So if they lose that support, and even if the there's a few that are that are like, no, we're not leaving until the government resigns or something like that, right? Like it, it's not going to matter anymore because they would have they're probably going to lose a lot of support once they deviate yeah. too far from their original demands. But um, by actually insulting them, first of all, running away; <laughs> second of all, refusing to meet with them; third of all, uh, throw not just Trudeau but Jagmeet Singh and others throw like pretty grotesque insults at them and now doug ford declares a state of emergency and you know starts all kinds of like doubling down though i i'm I'm yet i wonder what kind of state of emergency will look like from him um you see what we're seeing in action is and i want to hear obviously your opinion on this i think it's a demonstration of like a very weak and cut off political and bureaucratic establishment trying unsuccessfully to assert its authority and actually making the situation worse. Well, I I locate the issue in the fact that, so we do live in a formal democracy, so these people do need to get votes to get into office. But the Canadian politics and, of course, um, British politics are such a way that you don't really need a huge percentage of the population to vote for you to get into power. Like in some writings, you just need like 30% of the vote. So... But all parties need to maintain, of course, um, ideal an ideal situation for capital accumulation. So the fewer promises they can make that benefit real people, right, and the fewer they they need to fulfill with that regards, the better, right. So they they just they just what very commonly happens in Canada is what we call here a brokerage politics, where you will segment the population into these little kind of slices and then put together this like you know weird coalition. And, you know, make promises targeted towards these segments and get into power by, you know, getting 30% of the, the vote in a writing, in a few key writings. And then you just, you know, you get 40% of the votes and that makes a majority. You can do whatever you want for four years. It's, it's a dictatorship. Yeah. So um, there's nothing about this protest that would change that, right? Like it's not, that's not going to change it for the next election. It's not going to change it for any party. Like this, the, all the parties play the same game. And that's why the conservatives and the liberals in Canada are so similar when it comes to, or have become much more similar over time. Um, perhaps, you know, due to the fact that more and more people are just becoming disengaged with politics and you need even fewer people to vote for you. You know, it, it, it makes for parties that govern very similarly and they don't have to appeal to a, a broad based population at all, like not even close. And so what the liberals is base um, are a bunch of people that hate the truckers. They hate them. Oh, yeah. They're all over social media <laughs> crying. So there's no there's no. So, so at the, the Ottawa protest, there was absolutely no political impetus for them to make any advance like make any friendly advances or try to negotiate in good faith or hear them out and blah 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 so their actual approach of demonizing them and completely disavowing them and just saying that they didn't have any valid thing to say at all that approach appealed very well for their base so the conservatives so the conservatives the federal conservatives in canada actually have not ruled the country very much at all since the 1920s it's basically been pretty much liberal rule for like the last 
a hundred years almost. It's only with Stephen Harper and, you know, actually the right, you know, the right wing in Canada was quite fractured um, over decades. Didn't they get electorally destroyed in the early 90s and, and then Harper was the product of like a rebuilding operation on the Canadian right? Yes, so exactly. The Harper's big success, they was able to reconcile the factions. He was able to reconcile the, what was called at the time, the pro- progressive conservatives. And I think called the, was it the something alliance? Sorry, it's the word is... Um, something in my mind right now but anyways like he was able to reconcile like basically the more socially conservative um conservatives <laughs> and the more moderate conservatives and these different like factions within the conservative party he was able to bring them all together and um that in combination with the fact that the ndp did very well that's interesting very well in a few writings therefore taking votes away from the liberals is what was able to drive the conservatives into a majority for the first time in a very long time Okay, so Harper actually led several minority governments and he only made a majority government once. Okay, Mm. and it was only because the NDP had done very well under Jack Layden one time. And um, and that took votes away from the liberals and a few key writings, a few swing writings that enabled them to make a majority. So that's the story, you know. So um, the right wing in Canada, so to speak, has never been very strong. And once Harper was out... Um, they've kind of fallen out of formation. They're still struggling to keep together the same coalition that Har- that Harper made possible. But it actually depends very much on the NDP doing well. And Jack Layden died uh, unexpectedly, actually, of cancer, right? And so their next leader has been a has been a dud. Like Jagmeet Singh is is really bad. Wasn't so, there another guy, um, Mulcair, wasn't it? Mulcair was also very bad. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all, no, no one. Can, the, the reason why Lean was so effective is because he made huge inroads into the province of Quebec. That's the reason, yeah. right? And 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 basically, Mulcair started losing those inroads, and then Jagmeet Singh pretty much all of them are gone except for we basically they basically have like one riding NDP riding in Quebec. It, 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 the, the politics here make it so there, there isn't a broad range of like wedge issues on a cultural front that can be successfully used, you know, to bring the different parties to power. You know, it, it's, 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 it very much forestalls populist politics to a, to a broad degree. And, um, and the, so the, the conservative party since Harper has kind of struggled to figure out a way of recreating that same magic, but it's just, it's, I think it's mainly due to the fact that the NDP isn't doing well. That's why they're not able to recreate that same magic. But the, the CPC, the CPC, the conservative party of Canada is still fractured. Um, there's still like these basically like two parties along that, that fracture for some social questions, right? Like, so for instance, they were divided when it came to banning conversion therapy. Um, which was a recent vote in Parliament, um, which banned the ability of people to hire people to help them not become gay, I guess. Like you you hire like a therapist and they help you become straight or something is the idea. And also to hire a therapist. Like the more contentious aspect of that bill is that it it didn't ban, but made more difficult to obtain a therapist to help a child uh, figure out their gender identity issues. And so now you can, it's, you know, it's not impossible to get a, a therapist. You can still apply for an exemption to that bill and access a therapist like that. But, but it's more easy to get a therapist that will just do like um, gender affirmation. So if a child says that they're the opposite sex that they're born in, they'll just affirm that. Yes, so- yes. I'll, I'll rubber stamp your delusion. Here you go. <laughs> 
Yes. So that was the, so they are still divided on these, these kind of social questions, some of them like, but the thing is if they don't keep it together, they'll never like two right wing parties like divided on these, like these, like, uh, these social these social questions which actually don't have a broad base of support either way mm. you know they're never going to be able to form a majority on the basis of like social questions like that not in canada it's just not interesting for most people i'm sorry no um, i mean like i mean even even i mean the only time i can think of actually when like the i mean the it, the george w bush victory in 2004 was credited in part to the strategy of putting anti-gay marriage ballot measures on the ballot in various different key swing states. And that was driving um, Republican voter turnout via like the Christian conservatives. Um, So that was a a sort of cultural wedge issue that was credited with delivering a a presidential election victory in the United States to Bush. but thinking back to thinking back further, in, even in Amer- the American case to like Reagan or H.W. Bush, like obviously the uh, churches and sort of cultural conservatism, so-called, was a much bigger factor in their politics than either yours or ours. But I don't think it would be fair to say that it like would be the dominant factor even there. Um, so it's very hard to actually put together a victory in an, an advanced capitalist democracy on the basis of purely cultural wedge issues. So the Canadian Tories splitting into two over those questions really wouldn't make a lot of sense, as you were saying. And also, um, like it seems that the, the the space for contestation in Canadian politics is, as you've been saying before, it's it's incredibly narrow. Yeah, it, it just, I don't, if there, I, I don't exactly know why. Um, I think there's a lot of different reasons. I think that the, the, for instance, when it, I, we've had a show on abortion, and my opinion is that abortion is not a contentious issue in Canada, even though we have one of the most, we don't have an abortion law, right? So there's no regulations or anything regulating abortion. You can obtain an abortion legally and for free uh, up until nine months of your pregnancy, no issues, mm. right? If you can find a doctor willing to do that, which you know, you're, that's the challenge. <laughs> like most doctors will not perform an abortion past the second trimester or even late in the second trimester because, um, that's, you know, it's, it's like a fully grown baby unless there's like a, a major health issue that mm. threatens the life of the mother. And then they'll try to do an, an induced uh, delivery instead. Right. So, it, you know, but that's it, 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 even though we have this, 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 this paradigm here, um, it doesn't cause, um, much controversy at all. None to speak of. Um, at the political level, like it, you don't really get a lot of, uh, politicians trying to make an issue out of it. It's very rare that it happens, but in fact, um, you know, under O'Toole, there actually was a backbencher conservative that tried to table a motion to out, to ban the, to ban abortions on the basis of gender, right? So uh, on sex. So, and actually, O'Toole uh, squashed the motion, or the CPC squashed the motion because they didn't want to, They never want to reopen the question because they know that they're, <laughs> it's just going to cause. It's going to give something for the liberals to plummet them on, and something that most Canadians are are fine with. They don't really, mm. you know, they might have a personal view on abortion. They might personally not want to get an abortion, but they don't care enough about it to want to uh, prohibit someone else from getting an abortion. Well. Um... Uh, O'Toole has gone now, hasn't he? He's um, gone, yes. Yeah. 
But anyways, just to say that, yes, like these social issues do not, because of, I think, jurisdictional divisions between the provinces and the federation, um, there isn't a lot, uh, there's nothing to gain politically from, for instance, reopening abortion. Because, for instance, abortion is uh, in federal jurisdiction. And so um, you could change the law at that level and change the entire paradigm across Canada. But it doesn't really tend to come up because uh, the more... The, the provinces don't really have anything to gain from like, you know, um, campaigning around that. And so like a lot of the politics here that a lot of things that make the front new page news here in politics in Canada is actually disputes between the provinces and the federation. And so if there was a potential for the province to kind of assert its power as against the federal state when it came to abortion rights, be like the states do, the United States, um, yeah. they, that, that, that's why I think it's such a lightning rod issue in the United States because it's a state's rights issue. They'll say this is um, trampling on my state's rights. It's a jurisdictional dispute. Not so in Canada, right? Well, the question is like this, but the the fact that the um, there was an apparent inability or an unwillingness to make any type of concession at the federal level and the fact that the uh, the various different parties in Canada essentially have almost nothing had almost nothing between them when it came to the mandates and the various different aspects of the covid regime and yeah. why they are so apparently unwilling or unable to make any concession to defuse this even now and the um my question related to the fact that the or to the, the point that you were developing there which is that the the room for maneuver for these canadian bourgeois politicians is very limited. It seems that the um, partially, at least, because of the extreme weakness of Canadian capitalism being one factor. The then also you, what you've been talking about, which is that the way that the Canadian electoral politics works is it's a squabble for votes over tiny amounts of uh, in tiny amounts of constituencies to form a government, and also the fact that the um, the Canadian political set up um, basically removes the possibility for like a large amount of contestation due to the extreme diffusion of powers amongst the provinces so all of that taken into mind um, is are those is that like a fair summary of why concession remains impossible or or has, has not been considered for for the dealing or diffusing the the, the truckers protest yeah I just think it's made it so there's so the Trudeau government wouldn't have had anything to gain from diffusing the situation and offering concessions to the truckers. They had much more to gain, in fact, from demonizing them and um, presenting them as an enemy and presenting themselves as a bulk work war against these like anti-vax, anti-whatever people. Because for their segment, for their voting base, that brings them to power every single election. That's what they believe. Like, mm. these are true believers, like true petty bourgeois liberal professionals that live in this cities. Those are the kinds of people that um, writings that bring the liberals to power year after election after election. The kind of nice people who'd carpet bomb every single trucker in Canada, right? <laughs> That's the kind of things that they will literally say. Like, I'm not yeah. even, it's not even an exaggeration. Like I and mentioned. If that doesn't prove the class nature of this thing, nothing will. That they're, they're the furious response from like this part of the petty bourgeoisie and also the fact that the the bourgeoisie is now angry enough to order its politicians to take emergency measures. Well, if the if the liberals can invent some kind of ridiculous 
political division between the vaccinated and like the uh, the bad ones, like the unvaccinated, to keep these petty bourgeois fools distracted, they can go on and do their the real business of transferring wages from workers to capital, do it unimpeded. And that's what's been happening. There's been, for instance, very little attention amongst any of these of uh, the people who are now being highlighted in the press and taking up all the headlines every single day to the scandal that's been the the Canada emergency wage uh, subsidy, which has been a a, just a a, a handout to companies that didn't even have to show that they've suffered major profit losses or any profit losses. They didn't have to use the money for wages. And that was um, and, and that was an emergency measure during the COVID restrictions, right? That was renewed again and again and again, and yeah. I think it's been renewed we again. Had the exact same. <laughs> it was the exact same thing here, like gigantic amounts of state funds transferred to uh, the major corporations, leading to the upper like one percent of the British bourgeoisie, like the haute bourgeoisie, uh, making huge gains in their wealth over the last two years. Yeah. So if they can continue on. That business, which is what they're really in power to do, without any contestation, without any pushback, of which they've hardly gotten any. And I think it, it works out great for them. In fact, I think, um, you know, the, the kind of brouhaha around this protest was actually pretty helpful for them. And I think that's why, like, it's, it's it just distracts us from other things that they're doing in the background. But now uh, we've reached the point where serious uh, trade routes, the, the bourgeoisie, <laughs> Does take seriously because the profits are generated via the tr- via the movement of goods bet- over them. Now we've reached the point where they're l- literally ordering states of emergency to be declared. Right. So, um, yeah. so what is what is going to be the effect of this, and what is um, what is Ford going to do? What is the federal government going to do? It's a good question. Um, they've said that they're going to enact some new emergency orders to increase the fines for those who are blockading the bridge and also somehow make it possible to seize the vehicles. Uh, I don't, I have to, I, I need to check the news. Like it's not been that long since they've made this announcement. I, I'm, they're probably still, the, the ink probably hasn't dried yet on the orders they're about to deploy. But apparently they're going to do these kinds of things to clear the blockade. Um, it was interesting to hear from Ford during his press announcements he's like you know the the premier does not order the police we just make the laws no <laughs> uh, no one believes that <laughs> um yeah so they they say that they're going to like they're going to create like a new set of emergency orders to make it the fines for non-compliance very severe so a max penalty of a hundred thousand and up to a year of, of jail they they also said they were going to once legis- legislature was back in session, which is um, end of February, I believe. Uh, they're going to enact they're going to enact these things into law to make it illegal to do this kind of thing in the future. Like so, we'll see. Um, he uh, definitely is using very severe language. He's called the blockade illegal. He called the block. He called the whole protest movement an occupation. He said that they've, they, the, the, everyone, has, of course, has a right to protest, but basically the protest has been done. So it was kind of suggesting that your right to protest is now over. <laughs> you yeah, made your it's point. not a right, as it turned out. <laughs> it's only a right for a little bit. It's only a right if it doesn't bother anyone. Okay. Yeah. Well, that is always their <laughs> argument, isn't it? I mean, that's been the, the number one thing I've seen about the, uh, the truckers' movement is like, well, they've got a right to protest, but they've not got a right to bother anybody. Yeah, they they don't have a right to actually try to get their demands fulfilled. <laughs> no right to honking. 
<laughs> no, they've actually they, the ones in Ottawa. I'm sure everyone's heard um had an in- injunction delivered to them from a superior court here to get them to stop honking for 10 days. Um, and really, then- I mean, ridiculous, but that's the level that we're at. Um, so Ford has also, I saw yesterday, uh, moved to cut off the um, the replacement GoFundMe. Like they've gone onto another platform, but Ford is now saying that he's going to try and cut that off basically to make sure that um, if, when he's issuing these fines, that that money can't be used to be cover, covered any cover any fines that he's imposing. He's used a section in the Criminal Code of Canada to have a court um, order. So I think it, I, I know, I'm not sure of the legal details exactly, but essentially the order from the judge makes it so it's illegal to distribute the funds. Um, you can still give to the, no one's going to stop you from giving to that replacement GoFundMe, which is something called Go Send Give. It's like a Christian crowdfunding site, but, uh, they don't have any jurisdiction over the funds, the people giving the funds. So people can still give it into it, but the, those who hold the funds are now restricted in their ability to actually distribute them. So the workaround that the, uh, organizers, so, so the organizers of the crowd, uh, funding, um, site, uh, who were the original ones to kind of organize a convoy, said that they can still get around this by converting the money into Bitcoin and then sending the money as a Bitcoin to the truckers. So I think there are various work workarounds. Like the site itself is based in the United States, so the Canadian government doesn't have any jurisdiction over their operations, so they can't like order them to like you know stop the fundraiser or refund the funds. And they didn't have it for. Um, GoFundMe either. The GoFundMe did it unilaterally because they deemed that the protest was actually violent and that's against their policies to fundraise for something violent. Well, I think they actually deemed it to be something that would be unpopular with the American bourgeoisie. (laughs) I think that they still would prefer to, obviously they would prefer not to unleash, not to like subvert the rule of law. um, Yeah, exactly. And or to send in like to, to unleash some real violence on these people because they, they truly are just like regular citizens. They're, they are actually peaceful. They have not done any violence. Like there's been like a few kind of minor crimes here and there. Like, I think there has been, there's been four arrests of some protesters. And I think three of, three of the arrests were with regards to quote unquote, desecrating public monuments um, by putting like a flag on one and like peeing on one. Um, so they're not like, I think it's, it, it would be very difficult for them politically speaking to crush these people. Like, I think it would come off really bad. And um, in the past, when they've done so to indigenous activists, it's it's always been like a black mark. Uh, people bring it up constantly. So I think they're, they're trying to figure out a way of, of kind of staying within the law as it stands and clearing this blockade out. But we'll see how long how long they can uh with they can they can not resort to directly violent means mm. yeah well um if now that the uh the profit margins of certain very important sections of the american ruling class have been threatened um who knows maybe all bets are off um well but i struggle to see also though i mean other than mass arrests and the removal and getting like uh the cops or army to remove the trucks uh, what is their move? It seems that, that Ford, it seems, and Trudeau would prefer to stick to um, legal emasculation and intimidation rather than brute force. Yeah, that's right. They've That's been the tactic so far. They've just been trying to use threatening language. 
and threaten people to comply. And it's so far failed. Like, for instance, the Ottawa police said they were going to start start arresting people uh, for delivering gas or food to the truckers. And um, there's no like legal basis for that because they said that the charge would be aiding and abetting mischief, but mischief requires criminal intent. And the intent is to protest. So that is not a that is not a crime in Canada, as <laughs> much as they would like it to be. Not it yet. Is, not yet. And so, you know, it, it's. I think they just think people are really dumb. But people aren't dumb. They're like, oh, well, this isn't a crime. And so they just started going on mass carrying jerry. It's like been the, the image that's been circulating in, on social media. Like, you know, all these hundreds of people carrying like men, women, children, carrying jerry cans full of gas. Or sometimes they just carry empty ones just to like bait the police. Mm-hmm. And um, they've been supporting the truckers regardless of this threat. And so I, I think that they're just they're hoping the threats will work. Because I think they really think people are very dumb and very like as cowardly as they are. But the people aren't like that. Like they really <laughs> the proletariat is very courageous, actually, including in a town like Ottawa, which is actually quite wealthy, but it is surrounded by um, poor, more working class areas. So, you know, I will see. We'll see if this re- more. I, I think something that would affect at least the truckers that are parked on the bridge and in Ottawa is the direct threat of a police person to say, well, we're going to seize your truck if you don't leave. And I think that at that point, because that is their livelihood, um, that that is like, because these, you know, own, I think owner operator, I think is an ambiguous category in some circumstances, right? But someone who's an owner operator doesn't literally have nothing to lose, but their chains, right? They have their property to lose. They have the property in, in what they've invested in their truck. Yeah, and, and yeah. livelihood with it. Exactly. Yeah, that's completely reasonable. I don't think that's unreasonable. Hmm. But that just, you know, kind of revealed, you know, the the class composition of this kind of protest movement where its limits lie, you know, like it's not it's not like a to insult people or to say denigrate their bravery and courage, but it does kind of highlight the limits. So we'll see. We'll see what they do and we'll see how it goes. And I think this will reveal some aspects of the class composition of this whole thing. But um, yeah, they are ready to move if the threat if that threat is actually carried out. So, but I don't know what the legal basis for any of this stuff is. And I think the police are a little uncomfortable in breaking like, and the the police, for instance, like the um, order from the police chief to arrest people who are bringing like gas and like food to truckers hasn't been broadly enforced by the police. Like I was there a couple nights ago, I was walking around at night and there was like kids and women and whatever walking around. Like Ottawa is a very safe place. It hasn't been, the safeness of it hasn't been changed by the truckers protest. And they were carrying jerry cans. And I asked a woman, I asked a woman who was carrying it, carrying one. And I was like, have you been stopped by the police? And police are everywhere. Like, Mm. (laughs) like downtown Ottawa is crawling with police from like every place in the province. Like even from Quebec too, they've called some reinforcements from Quebec, from Durham, from Toronto, from all these, from Sudbury I found too, all the way from Sudbury to Ottawa. And she said, no, I haven't been stopped. I haven't been, I haven't been uh, asked about my jerry can. I saw people right in front of my eyes filling up a truck. (laughs) The police was like behind me. So yeah, they haven't been reinforcing the orders because I I, they don't like doing paperwork, which a lot of it is required when you do arrest someone. And there's no real charge that they can lay. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So, I mean, that's my view. We'll see how it goes. I think it's um, I think this blockade has really added a new element to this that I did not predict coming. Um, so we'll see how the bourgeoisie acts, uh, acts next. It's a fast developing situation. 
Well, uh, that's your that's your up to the date um, up to date um, update from the uh, live from the ground in the, on the in the Canadian truckers' protest and the the state of emergency declared by uh, the uh, the pallid reflection of Doug Ford, a man who looks like uh, he was really not enjoying that press conference. Uh, presumably, some very rich people had yelled at him the number of times he kept going on about uh, investor confidence. Yeah, so it's funny because. These press conferences are short. They're just like a half hour at most. And then they open the floor for journalists to ask questions. Our lie news media here in Canada. Um, and so they use their very limited opportunity to ask questions, which is the only kind of public debate we're going to have before this thing is enacted and the, and the orders are, are, um, are put into place. They use one of their questions to ask him why he was ski-doing in cottage country, the cottage country we have here in, in Ontario, Muskoka, during this whole thing, <laughs> they're so offended that he would dare. <laughs> How dare do. you not be paying attention to the investment climate, Prime Minister? What yeah. did we pay you for? <laughs> yeah, and like, you know, they're just so shocked that he would wait three days before enacting a <laughs> like emergency or um, a state of emergency and orders to clear this blockade when capital was hurting so much. It's pretty funny to see. Like he did mention the fact that two times or three times actually in the half hour, 20 minute press conference that um, we need to restore investor confidence in Ontario. Um, you know, things like we don't want people to lose faith in investing in Ontario. So, I mean, who does this government really care for? Like um, has he ever voiced such concern for the poor you know, poor children who haven't been able to play sports because of these lockdowns and vaccine mandates? No. Like, but uh, those poor investors, man. Yeah, got to look after them. No, leave no investor behind. Leave they... no leave no fund manager behind. <laughs> Their rights and liberties? No, those are unalienable. Yeah. <laughs> those are given by God. <laughs> In the words of Mitt Romney, people at corporations are people, my friend. They're the only real people that we have in this society. Oh yeah, like that's everyone the, else that, is just a wage laborer. <laughs> that's actually the living embodiment of bourgeois right. There you go. I, I just I love Canadian politics because it makes these dynamics very clear. Because yeah, our politicians but... are such opportunist hacks, they're so stupid, <laughs> and they only answer to like a direct call from big capital. You know? Yeah, literally, the, like the, whoever the big business administration or big business organization is in Canada just picked up the phone and yelled at him. Yeah, the, 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 a bunch of like different um, chamber, the Chamber of Commerce in the U.S. and different like auto parts manufacturers and auto manufacturers and the um, the auto workers unions came out and denounced this blockade and asked the government to act immediately to clear it. And uh, yeah, like the reaction was quite quick. But it's interesting that they they're not even considering just dropping the mandates. <laughs> no. Um... <laughs> Well, it strikes me that they 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 are they are because they're very weak politicians. They're obsessed with the idea of um, not backing down. Yeah, I, I just think that Doug Ford is also faced with a similar conundrum as um, Trudeau. That he's also brought into power by a, by a narrow segment of people. And although he was touted as a right wing populist when he uh, came into power here a few years ago, everyone was saying he was like Canada's Trump and whatever dumb shit. Um, I don't think his base is actually, I mean, the base, the base to win federal or provincial politics is very narrow. It's just where the votes are, which is in and around the cities. And mm. so, you know, without the working class voting, and I 
and generally working classes and voting, you're going to be depending on, you know, a conglomeration of petty bourgeois people who have certain viewpoints since they don't really change that much, right? Yeah. Right or left wing, I'm that, sorry. You know, everybody yeah. should be locked away and anybody who opposes <laughs> them should be killed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, and so he, he doesn't really gain anything from, from giving any concessions to what I would say is, a, a, a you know, a, a working class majority working class movement like this is a a, a a movement that is supported and um, and being driven by a proletarian support yes it's unorganized and yes it's it's spontaneous and it's you know it's it's kind of effusive obviously but i think it's there and i think the reaction of capital to this whole thing and their approach kind of demonstrates that right oh, like yeah. the i think it's making the nature of the protest quite clear and it's making um, the shameful alliance, like, I, I tweeted the other day, I'm like, will the Communist Party of Canada ally itself literally with the bourgeoisies of the U.S.? Yes. <laughs> yes. Why change the habit of a lifetime? We have a, a new signatory on the um, the call for the Ford government to clear the blockade. Oh, it's the Communist Party of Canada. <laughs> it's the Communist Party of Canada and the Communist Party of Ontario. Uh Totally in favor of like state crackdowns uh, against the, uh, the the and also um, I read the Communist Party of Canada's statement on it and they literally echoed all of Trudeau's language like it was it was as if Justin Trudeau himself had written it as did um, the um, unfortunately uh, uh, the some of the other I, who I thought were better Marxist tendencies in Canada such as the international Marxist tendency. Mm. Wrote up a disgraceful statement, um, drawing from like um, a, a, an anti-hate NGO sponsored by the Trudeau Foundation. You told me uh, to accuse the truckers of being racist and everything else. Um, all the accusations brought to bear by the bourgeois politicians and media, the major Marxist groups in Canada have just parroted it, and just again confirms um, all these organizations are just de- a degenerated mess. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I I think the the statement you're referring to, I kind of like went ballistic <laughs> on our no, WhatsApp it's, chat. <laughs> there's a lot of lot of angry capitalized messages there. It's just a lot of it is just factually inaccurate. Like for oh, instance, wildly inaccurate. Like yeah. just total lies. Before you write something, you should at least try to check with someone who lives in Ottawa. Like check with a few people and see what they're saying. Like. For instance, they claim that the downtown core was completely blocked. That's not true. There's an emergency lane for emergency vehicles to get through um, where the, the vehicles are parked. And outside of a few kilometers, um, a perimeter of maybe three or two kilometers around parliament, you would know nothing is different. I would, you know, people are saying even Doug Ford today said that the people of Ottawa are being held hostage. You can literally fly. There's an airport in Ottawa. You can drive. You can walk. You can skate on the Rideau Canal away from the protest area, <laughs> unimpeded. You, no one is keeping anyone hostage. I don't know what they're talking about. Like this word does not apply to this situation. Um, but the this kind of statement um, repeated this kind of rhetoric um, unquestionably. It's very silly. And to say, okay, I like the, the some of the yes, yeah, some of the things that the leaders of the uh, kind of the original people who organize the convoy and who are um, kind of running the fundraiser, 
they have said some offensive things in the past, but that doesn't mean that the protest movement is racist or far right or whatever else. Like I don't, I don't see any rational connection between dropping vaccine mandates, which is what this thing is really about. Ask anyone who's there, ask them why they're there. They're not there because they want to promote the supremacy of the white race. They're all there because they want the vaccine mandates dropped. So there's no logical, rational connection between dropping the vaccine mandate and racism or white supremacy or whatever else. They're mm. just talking about the individual characteristics of some individuals in this thing as if, and it's not like tightly controlled, like from the top down, you know, like these guys, ha- the, the, the guys that they're talking about um, have like issued various orders to the truckers. Like, so for instance, on one Sunday, they asked the truckers to stop honking on Sunday between the hours of 9 to 1 p.m. because it was the Lord's Day. So it's a Sunday, right? And they were honked anyways. <laughs> like, and the so- Lord cannot stand a honking. <laughs> yeah, so they can't just be ordered about. The truckers have, are, are self-motivated to be there. They're not being, a lot of them, I spoke to several truckers actually who are not accepting any money from the GoFundMe. And I asked them why, and they're just like, I'm not here for money, right? Hmm. So it's it's not what they think. They should really do a bit of their own investigation, like instead of taking what is literally bourgeois media at its word um, and, you know, give the truckers a fair hearing. I don't know why that's yeah. so impossible. Well, it's impossible when your party or organization consists entirely of petty bourgeois freakish students, uh, basically, who um, are no better than like the youth wing of the NDP or Justin Trudeau's party. I mean, like the social composition of these people is part of these people's organizations is part of it. Uh, a lack of any real connection with the working class at all is also part of it. And the fact that they have along with any of the other Marxist organizations in the advanced capitalist world, they completely swallow a lot of bourgeois propaganda, especially when it comes to issues such as the science, as we've explored over the last year. Like when it comes to that, the, the, the so-called science, like most Marxist groups have catastrophically failed to, to analyze it and I've just really ordered to ad hominem attacks on anybody who tries to do a critical analysis. You know what, Alex? This is exactly right. It is just a bunch of ad hominem attacks. And like, and they're very exaggerated. Like even the leaders, um, when I say they have said offensive statements in the past, like they've made um, some statements about how they think that Islam is infiltrating Canadian politics, like specifically the Conservative Party, which is actually more stupid than it is offensive. So I would say, (laughs) and like, I don't know, people say dumb things sometimes. I don't, okay, this may be too tolerant of me, but I I don't think that just because someone has some bad negative views or even racist views, if they're still willing to work with you and to stand by you when it comes to some kind of shared interest, then I think that's fine. Like I, Well, you know who (laughs) operates like that? The bourgeoisie do. Yeah, like for instance, some people have been claiming oh, well, are the truckers pro-abortion? Like, I don't know. Like, I think probably most of them are, like, maybe not pro-abortion well, not for themselves. A, it's but... not an abortion rights protest, is yeah, it? Yeah, but the thing is, like, like, okay, like, maybe they're against abortion, but that's not what the protest is about. We're not, yeah, exactly, as you say. And um, I, I, I'm actually for the um, ability of women to access safe and legal abortions, and I can make a case for that. But how can how will people ever listen to my case if I'm not willing to associate like associate people with views that with whom I with which I disagree? You know, they, they disagree with my views. All of them are anti-communists. <laughs> like, yeah. 
I'm still going to stand with them on this point because of the various reasons I've given. Um, I don't know. I, I just think it's it, politics at the stage in history is going to be very messy. You're going to be, you know, dealing with a bunch of people with very confused, like not very confused, but like a bunch of, with a mixed consciousness. Should we say. Yeah, exactly. A, mis- a mixed consciousness protest movements with a is is composed of of mixed. Uh, political orientations. But I think that if someone is willing to work with you and be nice, like, you know, be be polite and be, you know, willing to, even if they do have prejudices against you, like whatever on the basis of whatever, I think that is uh, fine. I think that's fine. Like, I think if someone's being harassed and attacked, then that's a different story. But if not, then if they can just keep it to themselves, then I don't know. Like, it's it's fine. Like, we have to look at the bigger picture here, you know? It shouldn't matter if, like, there's a there's a shared interest in pursuing like a common goal, um, yeah. which is a, a net positive, which the demands of the truckers are a net positive. Assuming there are racist people right now or people who have X, Y, Z view that you just how are they going to change their views if they're not able to interact with people and speak with them of that race, of that viewpoint, and, you know, have discussions, have open discussions about these things? How are they going to change their views? How are we going to win people over to the side of a proletarian dictatorship, right? Like it, it doesn't happen by just excluding them immediately because of this or that view that they have. I, it's 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 it not being hard for me in this situation because I have a vested interest in seeing these mandates drop because I'm unvaccinated. So mm. like, it's not been difficult. And I and I do see, I do actually take a huge issue with the infringements on civil liberties and rights. And I think it is a proletarian interest to see these well, things. So produced. should any Marxist who's been analyzing this properly. Let's be honest, like the, 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 the way that in which like most of the Marxist tendencies in Britain, Canada and the USA have behaved over the last two years is fundamentally anti-proletarian and ridiculous. And these people who are writing these statements clearly have no interest in winning anybody over. They don't. They are bitter, sad, petty bourgeois sectarians who just want to exist in a tiny pool somewhere where they get to be like the um, the most theoretically pure person that they know um, in their tiny little bubble. And they're not interested in doing a broader appeal to the working class. And they're very upset that the work, Canadian working class doesn't meet their expectations. And they're not prepared to adapt. Like, these aren't serious people, yeah. fundamentally. Well, I mean, I just think that, like, when I speak to people at the protests, when I speak to truckers, they're not... Um, unintelligent people at all like they're very well read on what they're interested in and they've thought through their position with regards to these mandates and these vaccinations and they've made a decision like you might disagree with the way in which they analyze the situation you might think that they're wrong on certain things but like they're not just stupid they're not just like a bunch of gorillas like being like don't thread on me or something like that they've really thought through their thing and I think that I don't know why their position doesn't deserve a fair hearing and an open debate, right? Like, I don't know, like, why do these Marxist groups think that they know the will of the proletariat with regards to well, this? they don't. Mag- I mean, they know the will of the tiny layer of petty bourgeois students they depend upon, you know? Yeah. And what I can, I don't know, but I can take a very well-educated guess due to my time in one of these groups that <laughs> what the, the, there used to be, and certainly in Britain, there used to be in a lot of the, even the smaller uh, Marxist, Leninist, and Trotskyist groups, an uh, older layer of workers who used to write a lot of the theory and statements when it came to industrial stuff. And you could tell when, like, the older working class members had written something 
because it was much more sensible and was actual analysis. When it fell into the hands of the petty bourgeois students who were coming up through the ranks, what you got was more and more anti-working class hysteria. And that's all, all you're getting in these statements now, because all those people who were, might have been in these organizations years ago who came from the working class, they've all gone, all retired, or they're all died. So what you've got left now is organizations like the IMT in Canada and the communists, allegedly, alleged communists, uh, who are just dominated by like one very thin layer who are exactly the same people who would be voting for the NDP or Justin Trudeau. And they're from exactly the same social basis. And they have all the same beliefs when it comes to the science and, uh, you know, who's racist and stuff like that. They've just tacked some marks on the end of it. And this, and that's what happens with these statements. Somebody will, probably one of the older comrades will say, well, shouldn't we consider this? And then some idiot will scream, no, racist, stop it. Gotta condemn it. People feel unsafe. Honking. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Like the, in that statement too, they kept on saying that people feel unsafe in Ottawa. I don't care how they feel. It's objectively not unsafe. It's no more unsafe than it was prior to the protest. Oh, like, by the I, way, I mean, sorry to just interrupt again, but I, I, a lot of these Canadian Marxist groups were just fine with the, the, the all the BLM stuff, including the violence. They were fine with that. So didn't that make people feel unsafe? Yeah, I mean... A lot of that stuff was genuinely violent. Um, and I actually, some of the rioting that happened, I was opposed to because it destroyed, I mean, from what I was able to observe from Canada, it didn't happen in Canada as much, but from what I observed happening in the United States, it destroyed people's ability, for instance, to get groceries. That's not what these protests are doing, by the way. Everyone can, you can get anything you need, like in downtown Ottawa. Like people are claiming that they feel too scared to go get groceries because they're allegedly being hassled for wearing a mask. But I mean, I also get hassled for not wearing a mask, but I so, don't, <laughs> you know, uh, welcome to the world you've created, bitches. <laughs> yeah. But like, I, I, but also um, I, I did like an experiment. I just walked around there with a mask on. No one said anything. I, I wouldn't say that someone hassling me for wearing a mask, for not wearing a mask. Rather, it makes it unsafe. It makes it annoying and unpleasant, but it's not unsafe. I'm not like in any... And I'm not going to be physically or otherwise impeded. Well, some actually, some stores have stopped me from going to their store for not being masked. So I actually have been impeded <laughs> from going to get groceries in some places as a result. But literally impeding me from getting what I need. It's not a very defensible position. And I don't. And the thing is, yeah, like I I do think with regards to the honking that now has stopped. I would agree <laughs> the honking it was pretty annoying. Like it, you know, when I was there, it was it made it very hard to hear people. And, you know, once one, one trucker starts honking, the other ones will honk. And it's just like a constant. So I could see that as quite annoying. But like, you know what else is annoying? Having civil liberties and rights just like summarily canceled for two years with no justification, no end in sight. Okay? Yeah. That is you'd also very that, annoying. <laughs> you'd think that that would annoy more people. But apparently the Canadian petty bourgeoisie is fine with it. Uh, yeah. Like, so, so you know, I, I don't mean to be mean, but I actually think that... That level of annoyance is worth it if it leads to the end of these infringements. So everyone's going to get annoyed by something, right? Either mm. I'm going to get annoyed and hurt by the fact that my civil liberties and rights are unjustifiably nullified, or they're going to get annoyed by honking. So the honking is done. So I, yeah, I, I think we. I think if you're if you're really committed to actually the uh, the ideals of liberty, you'll take some honking. 
Yeah, and, and actually in the court injunction, the side defending the truckers actually did submit several affidavits of people who did live in downtown Ottawa saying the honking didn't bother them that much and they were able to go to work just fine and the truckers have been nothing but friendly to them. So, you know, I think that the, there's an ongoing... I don't know why we should just listen to people who are saying the hon- the, the truckers are, are annoying. You know, maybe maybe they actually bring good cheer and some uh, fun to a city, to a city that fun forgot, you know? Uh, Ottawa, so- <laughs> uh, not a fun place. No, it it's not. Out. It's not a fun place. I, I actually think that being a partisan is really this position that Marx should, should be taking. But at the very least, you sh- like, as opposed to the class bias of the board by media, you know, a, a better position to take if you don't want to be a full out partisan. And I understand why people might not want to do that right away because the class composition and the direction of this whole thing is a little hard to to know. And I've, I've taken a guess about it, right? And I've thrown my support behind it because of my analysis. But at the very least, you should give everyone a fair hearing. No? Shouldn't you consider both sides equally? Like, why are you acting like a bourgeois judge being prejudicial against the proletariat or against the opposite side, whoever op- is opposite of, um, of capital? That's not very fair. Anyways, I don't know. I think people, I don't know. It's very sad to see, but... Sadly predictable these days. Um, yeah. But that's our up-to-the-minute analysis of the situation in Trukistan. Oh, it's um, already been an hour. Okay. It's already been an hour. But um, <laughs> did you want to mention the Russian thing as well, or should we uh, just leave it at a, a, a trucker-heavy episode? Yeah, let's just leave it at that. It's already been an hour. So Okay. Um, we'll, leave, we'll leave it there. So, we'll stop talking about this soon. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah. Well, when the war breaks out, we'll let you know um, from, uh, from from the British. When, if Boris manages to provoke a, a renewal of the Crimean War, I'll come back on the air. Um, but until next time, uh, this has been your weekend edition. And thank you for listening. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Bye bye. <laughs>